Good morning, everybody. Um, so we'll be reading from Mark 1, 35 to 38. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Thank you, Pam. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. I asked Pam to do the reading because I understand she did a message with that passage yesterday if you were at the women's breakfast. Who was at the women's breakfast? Did you recognize it? We just so happened, God's sovereign hand, uh, she did it yesterday, I'm covering it today. Uh, there was no strategizing around that. Um, so, you're going to hit it, get it twice if you, were, if you were there yesterday, which is awesome. Um, we're back in a series, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which we started last week. This is part two of a series. It's nine weeks long. It's going to take us to the end of November. A lot of our life groups are also discussing it, talking about it in their groups. It's, it's kind of a campaign we're doing. It's only the third time in the history of true life in 10 years that we're having as many people go through this as possible. There's a supplemental book that I think a lot of you guys are reading and, and getting stuff out of. If you're not reading it, uh, I would encourage you to do so. You'll get more out of it if you do. But we are not preaching the book on Sundays. We're preaching the Bible Using it as an outline, but uh, the sermons are going to be different than, than the corresponding chapters. Um, last week in our intro week, uh, when we looked at the story of Mary and Martha, we tried to establish a few things as we kind of uh, kicked this series off. Uh, I'm going to go, go through these real quick. Number one, that God cares about our emotional maturity because he loves us. He wants you to have joy and peace. He wants your joy and peace to be rooted in him and not stolen by changing circumstances and flaky people. Number two, we establish that God cares about our emotional maturity for the sake of his glory. We are made to reflect his glory, his character, his nature. And he doesn't want us coming to church, highlighting our Bibles, and then going out there, flipping out in traffic, holding grudges towards our family members, getting offended easily, and having disputes on Facebook. <laughs> he wants us to reflect his nature, his character, even with our emotions. Number three, we establish that all of us have areas of growth needed in the area of emotional maturity. If you cannot say amen to that, then you have an honesty problem. And then lastly, number four, Jesus will use other people to reveal our emotional immaturity so that he can grow us. And that could be siblings. That could be parents, that could be children, that could be neighbors, that can be co-workers. Heck, that could be our church community. Sometimes people feel like they are better off, just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. That's because we feel more mature when it's just us and Jesus. Other people have a tendency to bring out stuff in us. I thought I was a lot more mature before I got married. And I realized, oh, some stuff is in there that I didn't know was in there. So God will use, just like he used Mary in the life of Martha to reveal growth that needed, he will do that for us. And so I asked us to lean into the series. Many of you raised your hand that says, I'm leaning in. I hope those of you who didn't raise your hand are still in. 
today, what we're going to talk about, because it's the first principle of how to maintain or, or uh, grow in emotional maturity. The first principle in the book, it's called Being Overdoing. I'm going to title it like this. Avoid the human doing trap. Avoid the human doing trap. I'll never forget. I was... Uh, 19 years old, it was a sunny day, blue sky, in the spring of 2002. I was in Burbank, California, sitting on a curb, waiting for someone to arrive because I was going to buy his car for $400. He was an older gentleman that I went to church with. I had just started going to this little church up the road from where I lived in Burbank. Uh, he, you know, felt sorry for me, I think, and he wanted to sell me his car. Um, now, I, at this stage of my life, I was in hustle mode. Anybody ever been in hustle mode? Like, I got to make something happen here in my life mode? I was in hustle mode. Um, I had been in California but a little over a year, and I, I just felt this pressure. You better get your life together. You better fix some things that went wrong this first year out here. And so I, was, I had these to-do lists, and I had these appointments. I had nobody hovering over me telling me what to do. So I felt this pressure, like, oh, if I don't make it happen, nobody's going to pave any way for me. And the first year out there, I had failed to make it happen. In fact, I had to sell my first car to pay off court tickets and, and expenses. I had to uh, get evicted in order to get a guy that I was living with who wasn't paying rent um, out. It was a complicated process, uh, and I, it was just a mess the first year. So I was like, okay, this next year, I'm going to get it together. So I felt this pressure. I'm sitting on this curb, and this guy was running late. I had somewhere to be. I don't remember where 21 years ago, right? But I remember feeling this like, oh, I got all these things to do today. Why is he late? Now, I wasn't feeling grateful that this guy is selling me a car for 400 bucks, Right? I should have been like, I'm taking this car and we're, I'm just going to go celebrate with a meal. I had things to get to. And I'm feeling frustrated. And I, I, and I remember I'm on this curb and I lay back on the grass. Almost like in exasperation. Like, where is he? And I saw the sky. It was blue. I'll never forget. Blue sky with, a, with white clouds. And a verse, a scripture verse popped on my brain like flashed across the sky almost. It was a scripture I had read at some point in my life. I don't know when, I don't know where. But here was the scripture. It was Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I'm laying there on the grass, feeling all kinds of um, angst in my soul. And God was like, hey, I finally got you still for a moment here. This guy's running late because I want you to be still. And remember, I'm God. You're not God. You don't make things happen. I make things happen. I'm God. Your to-do list isn't God. Your next meeting isn't God. I'm God. You're small. I got you. You can trust me. You can rest in me. And that was a pivotal moment for me. I understood the importance of physically slowing down so that God can speak to my soul and remind me of who he is and who I am in light of who he is. And from that point on, I realized I need to give God space to speak to my soul on a regular basis. The reason we're calling this the human doing trap because we all have a tendency to fall into the trap of thinking that instead of um, being human beings and then doing out of that, we do in order to be. 
We do in order to be instead of doing out of our being. Does that make sense? We live in a doing culture where we are told that what we do, what we accomplish, what we achieve, what, the goals we make, what we're good at, how well we can keep a house, how well we're raising our kids, determines our worth, justifies our existence. That's the culture that we breathe. You ever feel more insecure about something? I was talking to somebody this week who they're fine with a certain aspect of their parenting until they're around a group of people that are a lot better and a lot more together, and then they feel insecure as a, as a parent. And I'm like, but why don't you feel insecure when you're not around them? Because there's a doing culture, and when you're with somebody who does something better than you, you start to feel it. Because we fall into the human doing trap. I need to do in order to be somebody. And this isn't new. But it's not how we were created. Adam and Eve in the garden were created to do good things. Doing's not wrong, to be clear. Doing is not wrong. We are made to do some good stuff. Adam and Eve in the garden were created to do stuff. They were told to be fruitful and multiply to subdue the earth, to cultivate it, to be gardeners of it, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. That's some good doing. But they were told to do it from a place of perfect union with God. They were human beings. They didn't need to do in order to earn God's favor. They already had it. They already had this intimacy with God. And God said, hey, out of this perfect union with me, go do Go fill the earth. Go cultivate. Now that didn't last long. Genesis chapter 3, they sinned against God. And the whole world was fractured as a result of that. The way I see it is that their sin was basically them trying to be human beings outside of dependence on God. God was saying, hey, hold my hand and you get to do some good stuff. And at some point they were like, nah, I want to be a human being and they'd be exalted like God. And what happened was everything got fractured. And since that time, since the fall of humanity, since the curse, we have been trying to earn our worth through doing and accomplishing and climbing and outperforming and pleasing and impressing and fitting in. We've been trying to control by resolving and fixing and manipulating and posturing and conniving. been going on since the beginning. Everybody outdoing one another. Religious systems created so that someone can be on top and others can be on the bottom. Us trying to find a sport or a hobby, something that'll say, this is who you are. And it creates anxiety and it creates all kinds of depression when we're doing poorly, pride when we're doing well, anxiety over making sure we maintain when we're doing well. And thankfully, 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 God didn't leave us like this. Jesus came to restore us to being full human beings once again. And he did it by becoming a human being for us. He came to restore the image of God in us and free us from this, this angst. He became a human being and he did the doing on our behalf. That's what he did. He lived a life we couldn't do. He died the death we couldn't do. He rose from the grave because we can't do that. But he did it for us so that we, by trusting in him, enter resurrection life. And resurrection life includes, 
ah, I get to be a human being once again. I'm not a human doing. I don't have to earn. I don't have to plan and connive in order to be. I get to do from a place of being. Amen? That's the good news. But the reason we can't dismiss right now is because we don't always believe it. We sing songs about it. I'm a child of God. And then we go out feeling anxious about Monday and all that we have to do. Our souls tell us, you don't believe this. You tell your friends this in life group. You read books about it, and you post things on social media about it, but you don't really believe it. And you know how we know it when we don't really believe it? Our emotions give us away. When we feel anxious because we didn't get enough done in a day, and we find ourselves consistently saying, oh, I didn't do enough today. When somebody confronts us about an area of failure or a mistake and we can't laugh it off or, or we can't listen and we get defensive or we get uh, filled with shame, that's an indicator that we're in the human doing trap. When we feel the pressure to say yes to everything that someone asks us to do, that's an indicator we're in the human doing trap. When we feel like we have to go to every social obligation in order to maintain this reputation, that's a human doing trap. And conversely, when we feel like we don't want to go to social things because of the pressure to be on or perform, it's an indicator we're in the human doing trap. Our emotions give us away. And so what do we do? I want to submit to you that the way to protect our identity as human beings instead of human doings is to follow Jesus' example. He became the ultimate human. You know that? He was more human than we ever can be. And when Jesus returns and we're with him on a new earth, we will be more human than we ever can imagine we would be. The way God created us to be. Not marred by sin. Jesus was fully human, fully God, and fully human. And what uh, Pam just read from in Mark chapter 1 gives us a, a clue as to how Jesus maintained his being instead of a doing. This union that he had with God the Father that he embraced, he made sure he spent time being with the Father. And then he did wonderful things out of this place of being in perfect union with the Father and the Spirit. So, uh, we're going to look at this short passage in our remainder time, uh, re remaining time. And um, I'm going to point out four observations from this passage about how Jesus maintained this, this being. His, his being with the Father and what we can learn from it. I think Mark shows us this moment in time and to, to say, hey, this is how Jesus lived. This is the way of life. This is the Jesus way. If you're a follower of Jesus, embrace this. Lean into this. I won't spend long on it, but I hope. Well, I'll just pray. I'll pray what I hope. Lord, I hope and pray, but it's not a wishful thinking. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a hope. It's a confident hope that you are a God who moves in us. And God, if anybody here is in the human doing trap right now, I pray that you show us and you give us a desire to get out of it. 
And I, and I pray this week when emotions come out that we would be able to stop and go, oh, I'm slipping into the human doing trap. That's where this anxiety is coming from. That's where this fear is coming from. This pressure to perform. We don't have to perform for you, God. And I pray that you would use this time in your word to free us just a little bit more to be the human beings you created us to be. It's in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's jump into Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 38. It says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. First observation. Jesus went to a solitary place before anyone could stop him. Nobody could get in his way. Nobody could bug him. He gets off and he gets alone with his father. Before it was bright and sunny and everyone else was stirring. That's the first thing we need to take notice of. Jesus was always in communion with God. He said it elsewhere. I only do what the Father is doing. The Father is always working. I'm always working. He's always in communion with the Father. And yet, he still saw the need to be alone with the Father. He needed this time, practically, physically getting alone. And I think... This is uh, a challenge to some of us who think, well, I pray to God. I pray all the time when I'm driving around doing errands and all that stuff. I pray all the time. And that's good. We should be. We should be in constant communion with God. But we need time alone with God just like Jesus did. Those of you who are married, you know that you can talk to your spouse while you're running errands and you're in the grocery store and like, hey, what do we need? And by the way, how was your day? And yada, yada, yada. But you still need time. When it's just you two, me and Jess, we need time. When it's just us, the kids aren't around, we're not watching a show. I like shows, but we need time away from all that. When it's just us. There's things that we can only talk about or I can only hear from her about or understand or, or share with her when we're alone. And I think the same is true. There are things that come out of our hearts when we're alone with God that maybe otherwise wouldn't. And there's things that we can hear from God when we're alone with him. Things that we otherwise wouldn't. We need time alone with our Father. The reason we don't think we do is because of self-sufficiency. The brokenness in us makes us think we're good. Jesus modeled perfect dependence. He needed time with his Father. And he made an effort. He got up early before anyone else could start stirring. Some of us have this idea that being with God, if it takes too much effort, then we shouldn't do it because anything like that shouldn't take too much effort. But that's just not what Jesus models. He was intentional about making the effort to go be with God. Just like, again, Jess and I need time alone. That takes effort to plan times, extended times, when we're away from everything else. But once we're there, we can just be together. That's number one. Number two, busyness drove Jesus towards solitude with his father, not away from it. The day before this happened, I want to kind of just quickly summarize what was happening the day before this, or re really the night before. So the night before, Jesus had a um, large crowd come to him for healing and for deliverance from uh, demonic oppression. 
You see, the day before had been the Sabbath, and Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law, and when people found out around Capernaum that Peter's mother-in-law was healed, there, you know, the word spread. But because it was the Sabbath, there wasn't a whole lot of traveling and walking that could be done, so they waited until the sun went down. So they had to wait until the evening. They had to wait until it was dark. And then, when it got dark, look what, look, look what Mark says. This is a few verses prior to what we're, we're reading. In verse 32, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. This is the night before. Now, even if Mark is being a little, you know, using hyperbole when he says the whole town, he still means to indicate it's a lot of people that came to the house once it got dark. So that would mean it was a busy night and Jesus was ministering late into the night. If that was you or I, I bet we would be tempted to sleep in. Hmm? Busy night, God. I'm going to skip my morning devotion time with you. After all, I served you a lot last night. That's how we think. Jesus didn't see his time with the Father. He didn't see prayer as a doing. He saw prayer, prayer as a fueling up. I need to be with God because I'm, I, I, I'm so drained from ministering to everybody. And I need to be filled up by you, God. It wasn't an exercise in doing. It was an exercise in being filled up. Being with God was the fuel by which he did what he needed to do. Being filled up by his Father, by the Spirit, was the means by which he had the strength to accomplish what he was sent out to accomplish. And again, you and I, we buy into the lie of self-sufficiency. Well, I'm too busy to spend time, to slow down, to stop, to be with God. And I'm sure God understands it because I'm doing a lot for him. And God's like, no, you're not a human doing. I created you and I saved you and I redeemed you to be a human being. I created you to be with me. Come be with me. There's a book that Bill, Hybers, uh, Bill Hybels read years ago uh, called Too Busy Not to Pray. And I think the busier we are, it should drive us to time with God. Oh, God, I need you. I need you to fill me. I need you to refresh me. That's number two. Number three, third observation from this passage. Sometimes we need to sacrifice physical rest in order to get spiritual rest. They are not the same thing. Now, they overlap sometimes, but they're not the same thing. Jesus got up while it was still dark, right? That's pretty early, especially on an evening where you stay up late. Very early in the morning. So he got up before everyone else was awake to go be alone because he needed his soul to rest in his Father. And some of us, we think... That we balance all our doing by just taking breaks, hanging out, playing video games, watching TV, playing hobbies, whatever. And those are not wrong. Not wrong. But those things do not refresh our soul the way being with God does. In fact, you can have a two-week vacation in the Bahamas, come back, spend another week playing golf and taking naps, binge-watching your favorite shows, and then Monday morning rolls around, and you get back to your daily life, you will feel more overwhelmed than when you started 
You're going to be thinking of all the things you have to catch up on, all the emails, all the phone calls you have to make, all the chores you have to do, all the cleaning, whatever. And by Tuesday, you're going to feel just as burnt out as you did going into that vacation unless your soul was reminded by God, you are not a human doing. You do not have to perform for me. You do not have to justify your existence. That's what a Sabbath day is meant to be. Not just time off from our work so that we can be anxious about getting all our chores done, but God reminding us, hey, you don't have to perform, Chris. You don't have to get that done. You don't have to accomplish this. You can have a list of chores and fail at it, and I love you the same. But there's something in our souls like, oh, no, it's a waste of a day because I didn't get this and this done. That's what time with God is meant to be, a reminder. I love you. What did God say at Jesus' baptism? My beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Before he even started his ministry, he hadn't done anything spectacular yet. I'm well pleased, my son, because they're in perfect union. And guess what we get through faith in Jesus? The same identity. My son, my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Yeah, but God, I didn't even do everything I need to accomplish. Ah, you're still my son. You're still my daughter. I still love you. That's number three and number four. Lastly, this clicker is taking a while today. His father determined his agenda. God the Father determined Jesus' agenda, not the demands of people. Look what it said in verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That's why I have come. So they're looking for him. Because everybody is hearing about what Jesus did the night before. He is becoming famous. He, he is uh, becoming, you know, it, what he did went viral, so to speak. And they're like, Jesus, it's working. You're so popular. You got to get back here. There's more. People want you to sign their autographs. Come on, come on, come on. And Jesus stops them. And I want us to pause right now and think about the demands that we get every day. Whether from family, friends, things that we get invited to, the, you know, the feelings, oh, I got to go to this and I got to go to that. Think about your phones. How many times does that thing ding and say, wah, wah, I want you, I want you, I need you, I need you. Right? And the more apps you get, you know, you have the option, choose notifications. The more notifications you have on, the more crying babies you have during the day. Wow, wow, somebody's calling. And, you know, some of us still believe that every time it rings, we have to pick it up. Even if we're, you know, in a movie theater. And we don't. And we don't have to go to everything people tell us to. Jesus modeled this. And I think he had the peace and the confidence to say, no, Peter, actually... Despite all those people wanting us and wanting me and singing my praises, we're moving on. We've got other villages to go to. Think about how hard that would be for us. When, 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 if you were to hear, everyone's looking for you, what does it say? You're important. You're wanted. You're liked. What do politicians do? They go to where there's more likely to be people who are going to vote for them. Right? You, you go, you campaign where you're already a little liked and you get more liked and then you keep, keep it up. You leverage it. And Jesus is like, no, we're not leveraging that. I got a mission. And I think it's time with his father where God made it very clear, this is what your priorities are. And because he's, 
He's got limits. He's a human being, right? He's got to embrace his limits. That's a future week we'll talk about. He's like, no. Then I can't say yes to this. I have to say yes to this. And it's time with God where he rearranges our priorities. He reminds us, this is what you've got to do. You've got to invest in this person, and that's going to mean saying no to that person. You've got to say yes over here, and that's going to mean saying no over here. Sometimes it means you go before the Lord, and you're, I mean, this is what it means for me sometimes. I'm going before the Lord, and I'm like, all right, God, I got this, this, and this, and I'm praying for those things. And then God will put somebody on my heart that wasn't like, I wasn't planning to reach out to. This happened recently. Somebody not in our church, not even in my family, somebody random God put on my heart. And it's like, check in on that person. I was like, God, I'm busy. Like maybe at the end of the day. And I really felt like God's like, no, you do it now while you're in the car, while you're driving down the parkway at 8 o'clock. I called this person up, had a good conversation. I don't know why. But God just put that on my heart. And God wanted me to make it a priority. I I believed he did. There are times when I go to God and God reminds me, hey, before anything else, you need to have a conversation with one of your kids. That's the priority. Yeah, but I'm really busy or I got this or I got that. Or, you, you know, you need to forgive so-and-so. Or you need to apologize to so-and-so. It's time with him where he shows us this is the priority right now. You need to deal with your grief. You need to deal with your anger. You need to deal with your disappointment. Don't rush off to be a human doing. God needs you to deal with something. That's what time with him does. And it leads to the most important kind of doing, the kind that God is already orchestrating and ordaining. You know where Jesus went off to next? To heal a leper. Think about that leper. Think if you were that leper. If Jesus said yes to Simon Peter, maybe if Jesus slept in a little bit, who knows if that leper would have gotten healed. But God ordained the mission for Jesus, and Jesus walked in perfect submission to the Father the whole way. It leads to the, when we're beings, human beings, it leads to the most effective kind of doing. It doesn't make us lazy and neglectful. It makes us more effective. Uh, A story from this past week, I'm not going to name their names. They wouldn't want me to. Um, I didn't ask them for permission for this story, but they went to a reservoir recently to spend time with the Lord, to be with God, to journal. And they said while they were there, they ended up having a conversation with a, a Jewish person about their relationship with their child, some, some, something going on there. God orchestrated this divine moment for them when they made it a priority to go be with God. When we're with God, when that's our priority, God remind me, I don't have to accomplish He'll make the path clear what we are to do next. But when we're rushing through life doing, 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 things get muddied, and sometimes we're not even that effective. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to end. I want to I end with a little bit of a challenge. I, I thought of a few ways to end today, and I was praying about it, and I just landed on, I, I wanted to just leave you with this. I want to challenge you to have pre planned daily time as well as unplanned moments throughout the day to ask the Lord and I'll show you what that question is in a moment but just make sure you understand this pre-planned daily time solitary time when you can get away from people I think for a lot of us it might be best to do it in the morning in my house I gotta get it before my kids wake up or come down Maybe for you it's at night. Maybe it's a lunch break when you can go to a park. 
but have pre-planned. It's planned. I'm taking this time. This is a big rock in my day. This is a big rock. But then also unplanned moments. When you feel anxious, when you feel frustrated, when somebody challenges you in an area, approaches you about a failure or mistake you made, and you start to feel the, tend the temptation to be defensive, those moments are moments to steal away to the bathroom <laughs> or steal away outside and go, God, what's going on? And then ask this question. Here's the question. What am I tempted to think I have to do in order to justify my existence right now? And when I say justify my existence, uh, it, it's not a, if you were honest with ourselves, in this moment, what am I tempted to think I've got to fix, I've got to resol resolve, otherwise I'm not a good human being. I'm not good in the eyes of God. I'm not impressing people, whatever it is. Maybe what you feel like you have to do is impress so-and-so, or fit in here, or go to this party to maintain a reputation. What, it could be all kinds of things. It's usually in the area of control, accomplishment, or the acceptance of people. Those are usually three areas where we tend to feel like we have to do. I have to do in order to control. I have to do in order to uh, achieve. And I have to do in order to win the affections of people. So that's my challenge to you. Find Now, if you're, if you're a, a Bible reader, great. Like, like, read the Bible. We've talked in other places and times about the importance of being in God's Word. So I wouldn't say instead of time in the Word. But I, I read the Bible every day since that time in 2002. There are times when I have to stop reading and go, God, I'm not taking this in right now. What's going on in my soul? you got to show me what's going on in my heart before I dive back into your Word. Because sometimes time with God, for us, is simply a matter of doing, isn't it? It's just, oh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm going to get it in. Let me get it in. And God's like, no, no, no. That's not what it's created for. I want you to be with me in order to be with me. So sometimes it's our heart check. So this question sometimes helps. Okay, okay, okay. So I'm going to call the band up. And I want to just do a little exercise. Before we sing a closing song, I just want to take a moment or two to give you a chance while you're sitting there to ask this question right now. What am I tempted to think I have to do in order to justify my existence? And it's usually good things. But when it comes from a place of anxiety or when it comes from a place of needing to prove, it is not going to be as effective as when it comes from a place of, ah, I'm being with God because I am a human being, loved by him already, and he's got this. I'm going to be still right now, and I'm going to know that he is God, and he'll create a path. And I'll, be, I'll, I'll share mine this, this morning. I was sitting on my porch trying to read the Bible, trying to even think about the sermon, and I couldn't because there was one situation, one person, very, very close, very, very small, <laughs> that was uh, awry, and I felt like I needed to fix it. And I kept thinking, okay, well, that didn't work. Maybe I'll try this later. And I needed to say, all right, God, why is this so important? Why do I feel like I need to fix this? Oh, because that will mean I'm a good dad. 
if I don't fix it, I'm not a good dad. And that's not true, but that's what I'm feeling. And you need to remind me. What is it for you? Let's just take a moment before the band leads us in the final song. stand with us. We're just going to worship.
as we go about this week, may we remember to be still and know that he's God. Let us remember to be before doing, and may we seek his solitary place, that quiet place where we can hear him, he can hear us, and we can be in his presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an awesome week, July Church.